something dramatic happened at the end of March. The price of a pill virtually guaranteed to prevent HIV plummeted. We've already seen close to a 90% price reduction. Pharmaceutical giant Gilead had created a revolutionary pill, Truvada, often called PrEP. And with no competition, Gilead had named its price for nearly a decade. In Australia, PrEP is $8 a month. In the United States, it's almost $2,000 a month. But only a fraction of the people recommended to be on PrEP take it. And about 35,000 people a year still get HIV in the U.S. Now that generics are finally hitting the market, though, you can buy PrEP for around 80 bucks a month. For better and for worse, this is how our drug system works. Today... We look back at how Gilead kept prices so high for so long, and whether cheaper drugs will finally increase access. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. I'm joined today by Tradeoffs producer Ryan Levy, who has spent more than a month digging into this, and he's going to help us rewind the tape, so to speak, to see what we can learn from the story of Truvada and Gilead. Nice to have you here, Ryan. Good to be here, Dan. So to really appreciate how far we've come when it comes to HIV and AIDS, Ryan, let's go back to when the HIV AIDS crisis first started in the U.S. in the 1980s. Yeah, you know, it was a really dark and scary time for a lot of people. Jane, can you imagine what it must be like if you had lost 20 of your friends in the last 18 months? Hospital wards in major cities were full of mostly gay men wasting away and dying. You know, entire communities were devastated. And you don't know why? No cause, no cure. People in hospitals, we can't... It's a very angry community. In 1992... AIDS was the leading cause of death for men ages 25 to 44. By 1995, more than 260,000 people had died. And right around then, Dan, is when really effective treatments for HIV-AIDS finally hit the market. Now, these were complicated combinations of pills with some nasty side effects, but they worked. The death rate from AIDS dropped by two-thirds within just a few years, and the treatments kept getting better and better. And presumably, this is where Truvada enters the picture? Right. Gilead introduced Truvada in 2004 as an HIV treatment, and within three years, it was their best-selling product. By the end of the decade, it had made them nearly $8 billion. Uh, And as a company that, you know, Dan, only launched in the late 80s as a biotech startup in California, this really catapulted Gilead into the sphere of really a pharma juggernaut. $8 billion. That's some serious money, Ryan. And... As you said, though, this was for HIV treatment. But today we're talking about Truvada as PrEP, which is short for pre-exposure prophylaxis. Uh, So first, Ryan, can you walk us through how did Truvada go from treatment to prevention? Well, researchers had been floating this idea from the beginning, Dan. And in the mid to late 2000s, the federal government funded and ran a couple of trials to test the theory out. Gilead offered some guidance and support, uh, and they donated the pills for the studies, too. And that's normal, a drug company using government-funded research to develop their products. 
Definitely. Normally, though, it happens earlier on, you know, like the government figures out the basic science and then pharma turns it into an actual treatment. I got it. Okay, go on. Right. So the big news came at the end of 2010. A global study of high-risk gay men found that daily doses of the drug Truveda cut their chance of infection by as much as 70%. Time magazine called it the medical breakthrough of the year. Anthony Fauci called it huge. And in 2012, the FDA approved Truvada as PrEP. And how excited were people about PrEP? I mean, this sort of sounds like it changed the game. That was definitely the hope. Uh, The Obama administration had just set a goal of cutting new infections 25 percent by 2015. We're here because we believe that while HIV transmission rates in this country are not as high as they once were, every new case is one case too many. And a lot of people thought that PrEP could be the missing piece, you know, the thing that would help us finally eradicate this virus. But very, very few people actually started taking it. And a lot of folks were blaming the price tag. If you look at uh, a person taking Travada for an entire year, the price range is somewhere between twelve dollars and $14,000 a year. It's not an inexpensive drug. It's a Dan, these twin issues, drugs. high cost and low uptake, have been at the heart of the Truvada story ever since. Today, fewer than 20% of the 1.2 million people the CDC says should be on PrEP actually take it. Uh, This includes gay men, anyone uh, with an HIV-positive sex partner, transgender women, people who use injection drugs. Half of the people who got HIV in 2018 lived in the South, and most of them were Black and Hispanic, groups where PrEP use is much lower. Um, Oh, and by the way, Dan, we still haven't hit that goal that Obama set for reducing new infections. And so the list price for Truvada was $14,000 about 10 years ago when the drug hit the market. What is it now? It's up to around $22,000. And what are people actually paying? So most people, not all, but most people, they actually usually end up paying very little or or even nothing out of pocket. Uh, That's because insurers, including Medicare and Medicaid, they're the ones that are picking up most of the tab. And then Gilead has a program to help people with private insurance pay any co-pays or deductibles they might have. And then for people without insurance, Gilead has donated enough pills to the federal government to cover 200,000 people for the next decade. And the company also runs its own assistance program. So you just told me that health policy people think high prices are a big reason why so few people are taking the drug, but lots of people aren't paying that much out of pocket. What, what's, what's going on? This is a really important question, Dan, because even though there's all this focus on cost, there's no clear-cut evidence that proves price is keeping people off of PrEP. You know, there's even a CDC study that estimated that just 7% of people who should be on PrEP struggle to afford it. So there's that. But at the same time, you know, like I just said, only 20% of people are on the drug. And there are surveys and tons of one-off stories of people who either didn't start PrEP or they stopped taking it because of the cost. So, so it sounds like one way or the other, maybe not causal, but there's some sort of connection between all of these people not taking PrEP and how much Gilead has charged. So obviously Gilead disagrees with that framing, but it's certainly a piece of the puzzle, right? You know, high drug prices have always been a part of our country's history in trying to fight HIV. And looking back on the prices Gilead set for PrEP, 
and why they've stayed so high is an important part of that history and, I think, a useful case study in how our drug pricing system works. Okay, so why, Ryan, have these prices stayed so high for so long? Uh, So there are three big things, Dan. And as you know, I'm a big fan of acronyms to help me remember things. Yes, Uh, I know. know. (laughs) So for this, I came up with PSA. PSA, Public Service Announcement, Ryan. You got it. I mean, I feel like our stories are, you know, kind of public service announcement, or at least that's how we want them to work. Uh, So I thought it fit. Uh, Okay, (laughs) great. Uh, So I guess we're going to start with the letter P. Right. So P is for patents. And if I only had one word to answer your question, Dan, it would be patents, because that's what really drives the prices we all pay for prescription drugs. Patents are also very complicated. So to really understand their role in this story. Okay, what do you need? I needed a little bit of help. I'm in the faculty at University of California, Hastings. The first person I talked to was law professor Robin Feldman. And I run a think tank at the law school called the Center for Innovation. Robin's work focuses a lot on drug patents and drug pricing. And she says when companies come up with a new scientific discovery... The U.S. Patent Office slaps a patent on it, and the drug maker gets a monopoly, usually about 20 years. And Dan, this is when they can charge whatever they want without competition. And it's an incentive for the companies to develop new innovative treatments. And after that, cheaper drugs should be able to enter the market and drive the price down. So that's the straightforward part of patents. Then we get into what you might call the gamesmanship. Uh, One common move, Robin says, is for companies to file a bunch of patents on a single drug. You can think of them as walls, or you can think of them as a bag of weapons that you can throw at a potential competitor one after another. The more you have, the harder it is for a cheaper drug to get to market. People call this patent thicketing, and the idea is that the longer it takes for generics to enter, the longer that original company keeps making top dollar. All a company needs is one to block the generic out. So if you've got 10, 15, 20, you've got a lot greater chance that something will will stand and, and hold off the competition as long as possible. And Ryan, how many patents does Gilead actually have for Truvada? 14, with protection lasting through 2024. Now, Gilead, for its part, says these patents are just, you know, based on their scientific discoveries. They're they're what they should have. And they say that it's natural that Truvada is going to have several patents because it's combining two separate ingredients. Um, in other words, you know, nothing to see here. But there's at least one court case against Gilead that suggests that there is something to see here. And Robin says it's common for courts to get involved in these kinds of cases because not all patents are created equal. Patent examiners have a limited amount of time and limited resources to look at each patent that comes through. Some of those patents and protections may be weak. So we have historically relied on the court system to sort these issues out. When we come back, Gilead goes to court, pushes a new pill, and we look ahead to a world of cheap and plentiful prep. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back. We are here with Tradeoff's producer, Ryan Levy, who's running us through a drug pricing case study focused on Gilead's HIV prevention medication, Truvada. Ryan, you just told us about the key role patent protection played in the high price of the drug, and that was the P in your PSA. And you were about to tell us how some of Gilead's patents got challenged in court, which I'm assuming gets us to the S. That is right, Dan. So S is for settlement, as in settling a lawsuit. And remember how I was telling you that not all patents are created equal? Yeah. So of those 14 patents Gilead has on Truvada, the Israeli generic drug maker Teva challenged two of them. Teva argued that those two should be thrown out because the inventions they claimed to cover were included in earlier Truvada patents. So basically, patents are supposed to be for new discoveries, things that have never been patented before. And Teva was arguing in court that Gilead had effectively patented the same science a few times. Right. And in 2014, the two sides settled, but the details of that agreement are secret. All we know is that Gilead eventually said that as part of the settlement, Teva would launch a generic version of Truvada in September 2020. So September 2020 is before Gilead's patents would have expired, right? But also several years after Teva could have hit the market had the company won their case in court against Gilead. Exactly. And presumably, you know, that's why Teva made this deal. You know, you trade the uncertainty of winning a court challenge and getting to enter the market right away for the certainty of entering the market a few years down the line. Which makes sense, but there's another reason that a different patent expert I talked to raised as a possibility here. Hi, my name's uh, Tahir Amin. I'm the co-founder and co-executive director of an organization called the Initiative for Medicines, Access and Knowledge. Tahir's a patent lawyer who co-runs IMAC, a research organization that pushes for lower-priced drugs by focusing on patent reform. And he told me about something known as pay-for-delay. Many of these settlements, usually the branded company will tell the generic company, why don't you delay your entry? We'll pay you X million dollars, maybe even a billion. Now, I want to be clear. Gilead told us that Teva received no payments in this deal, and Teva did not respond for comment. But in March, the state of New Mexico filed a lawsuit alleging that there was pay for delay here. Now, obviously, that will have to work its way through the courts. But big picture, Dan, pay for delay is right out of the pharma playbook. They know they're going to get a chunk of change to sort of wait for an extra year or two. The generic gets a nice uh, sort of golden handshake. So um, it, it works out for both generics and the, uh, the branded company that's holding the patents. A 2010 Federal Trade Commission study found that on average, these pay-for-delay deals give brand drugs an extra 17 months of exclusivity. And in total, they cost consumers an extra $3.5 billion a year in higher drug costs. 
Ryan, before we get to that final letter, let's take stock for a minute here. How much money did Gilead make on Truvada as prep from 2012 when it hit the market until that first generic arrived in the fall of 2020? We don't have them broken out, but total Truvada sales for prep and treatment in the U.S. were about $19 billion. And how many new HIV infections were there over that same time period? Through 2019, around 300,000. So given, like you've already said, there is no empirical evidence that draws a straight line from price to people not being on PrEP, how do you think about those two numbers? They're both huge parts of the story, Dan. You know, we've made a lot of progress on HIV, but people are still getting sick. And Gilead has made a lot of money on a prevention drug that most people aren't using. The tricky thing, of course, is how related are those two? And the truth is, we just don't have as clear an answer as we'd like. Okay, we are down to the final letter in PSA. Ryan, what does the A stand for? A stands for a new pill. Uh, Back when Gilead was first developing the ingredients for Truvada in the early 2000s, Tahir says they were also doing research on another slightly different version of one of the ingredients. This was around 2004. And it actually showed some slight benefits. Uh, Like, for example, you could get higher antiviral potency at a lower dose. Uh, But then they just totally scratched it. They just, it just went dead. At the time, the company sent out a press release saying they didn't think this new ingredient was different enough from the one in Truvada to keep developing it. But in 2010, Gilead dusted it off and started working on it again. And they turned it into a new drug called Discovi, which they got FDA approval for first as a treatment and then as PrEP in 2019. Now, that's right before Truvada was about to go generic, right? Right. And a lot of the advocates and doctors that I talked to did not think that that was a coincidence. This is a common business strategy that pharmaceutical companies use. We call this sort of product switching or product hopping. They basically will take an existing product, slightly modify it and switch it over to a new one because they now have a new generation of patents so they can keep off competition. Gilead says they started working on Discovy again because they thought it could be a better and safer treatment option. And a lot of their marketing around Discovy as PrEP also really focused on safety. But that emphasis really bothered a lot of HIV physicians. Yeah, it was super frustrating because, like, you know, many of us knew that Truvada was a very fine and really excellent medication. Oni Blackstock is a primary care and HIV physician in New York City, and she was actually seeing patients and running the city's HIV response out of the health department when Discovy came out. People already had all this information that they had received about this newer, safer medication that either friends had told them about or that they had, you know, seen a commercial about. Step up, prep up. Discovy is the newest way to prep. Discovy does You know, how it was different from Truvada, which, um, you know, more folks were familiar with. It just felt like pushing against this huge storm of of information. There were ads on TV and online. Uh, This one was particularly wild to me. If you go to Truvada.com, Dan, the first thing you see is actually a pop-up for a new prescription option, which, of course, is Discovy. And to be clear, 
Truvada and Descovy are both very safe medications. I did talk with several doctors who told me that they'd likely recommend Descovy for patients with pre-existing bone or kidney issues, but for the vast majority of people, evidence from Gilead's own clinical trial showed that Descovy and Truvada are equally effective at preventing HIV. And of course, now that the price of generic Truvada is plummeting, there's you know, no reason, no financial reason for someone to pay around $2,200 a month for Discovy. And yet, Gilead's campaign has worked. And, you know, the company says 46% of people who had been on Truvada are now on Discovy, uh, which we should say has patents that go until at least 2025. Okay, there's lots of people now on Discovy, the new brand on the block, But there's all this new generic competition, too, so I'm guessing prices are falling fast. Yes. In 48 hours, the price of PrEP dropped more than 90%, Dan. Damn. Yeah, it's it's really something. And, you know, it's it's not like that everywhere. Uh, But I did some looking around. And in most major U.S. cities, uh, if you've got a coupon from the discount site uh, GoodRx, you can get generic Truvada for about 80 bucks a month. Uh, I even talked to one pharmacy in San Francisco where you can get it for $36.60. It basically is a race to the bottom now. Tim Horn is the director of healthcare access at the National Alliance of State and Territorial Age Directors. And he told me that it'll take some time for everyone to see these new low generic prices, but cheaper, affordable prep has definitely arrived. I'm curious, Ryan, how optimistic are people like Tim Horn that lots more people will now take prep and we're going to see a real drop in the 35,000 Americans who are getting HIV every year? So no one I talk to thinks that high prices alone explain the PrEP problem. Not physicians, not activists, not researchers, nobody. There's really this whole web of barriers. You know, there are still a lot of people who don't know about PrEP, or they think it's not for them because they already take enough precautions or because they're not gay. And, you know, there are still millions of people who don't have health insurance in this country, especially in the dozen states that haven't expanded Medicaid, which makes access that much harder. Putting that aside, one concrete thing that Tim thinks will change is that it's now going to be a lot easier for public health departments to get PrEP out there. And we've certainly heard from health departments that would like to be able to purchase PrEP at prices that are are considerably more affordable than those available to branding products to give to a university clinic, to give to a Department of Corrections program, to donate to a community program. So that would definitely help those people you were talking about, Dan. But there is also a potential downside. A lot of HIV clinics right now can buy Truvada or Discovy at a big discount, but they're able to charge a patient's insurance for the full amount. That difference, about a thousand bucks usually, that funds their clinic. It covers labs, outreach work, and care for the uninsured. So these safety net clinics are worried that if insurers switch to only paying for generics, as some already have, the clinics will lose a lot of money. Really, it's just too early to know how this will all shake out. Sure, fair enough. But as we enter this new Travada chapter, Ryan, given all of your reporting, what's the big takeaway? How do you think we should all think about the story of Truvada? 
I think there are three things that, that really come to mind for me. You know, the first is actually a quote from New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, from back in 2019 when she was talking to Gilead's CEO, Daniel O'Day, at a congressional hearing on the cost of PrEP. This isn't about you as an individual or, or who you are or your character. This is about the system of incentives that we have set up. And when it comes to who to blame for this, I, I don't blame you. I blame us. You know, yes, Gilead got their patents. They delayed generic entry and they're pushing out Discovy. And it's really tempting to boil this down to just a, a greedy drug company putting profits over a million people who still aren't taking this drug. And that narrative is definitely out there. But this is the U.S. drug system in action. You know, this is the basic contract the U.S. has made with drug companies. What do you mean by contract? So, so this is my second takeaway. At the center of the pharmaceutical pricing discussion is a trade-off between the access to the drug today and the access to new drugs in the future. I talked with Craig Garthwaite. He's an economist at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern, and he generally believes that the innovation we get is worth the high prices we pay. We need to provide the incentives for firms to want to develop treatments in the first place. And the way we do that is through prices that mean that some people don't get access to treatments that exist. Basically, in this contract, we're agreeing that Gilead should have a financial incentive to find a cure for HIV in the future. And that's worth some people not being able to afford PrEP today. This is the core tension in drug pricing debates that we often come back to. And that's part of this Truvada case, too. You know, how big does the financial incentive have to be to still get these breakthrough treatments? Is there room to bring down prices and still preserve the innovation we want the most? A lot of people in Washington definitely think there is that room. My last takeaway brings me back to Tim Horn. Because regardless of what's happened before, we're now entering a new chapter in HIV prevention. We've never really gotten a chance just to see what the impact of a low-cost generic you can actually make um, in terms of you really scaling up access. That's why, personally, I'm so interested in seeing what happens uh, with these new generics over the next few months. Because this is uncharted territory. Are we finally going to see that huge jump uh, in the number of people getting on PrEP? You know, the federal government, Dan, has updated its HIV goal. It's now they now want to cut new infections 90 percent by the end of this decade. And there's a lot of excitement and, and hope that cheap prep is finally going to help us eradicate this virus. And it's a story I know we're going to continue to follow. Ryan, thank you so much for this story. Happy to do it, Dan. I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is trade-offs. When it comes to the health insurance that we get through work, there's room for a lot of improvement. Premiums have jumped more than 50% in the last decade. Deductibles are way up too. But what if there were better options for the 150 million workers who get coverage from their jobs? I hope you can join me Friday, May 7th at noon Eastern for a special trade-offs event hosted by the Leonard Davis Institute for Health Economics, where we'll dive into new ways to get employers out of the insurance game. You can keep in touch with us between episodes by signing up for the Trade-Offs newsletter. Click on the link in the show notes or on the big orange button at the top of our website, tradeoffs.org. 
Naturally, you can follow us on Twitter at TradeOffsPod. And when you give us a rating or a like on your podcast app of choice, it helps other listeners to find us. So thanks for your help there, too. The Tradeoffs team is producer Ryan Levy, Chief of Strategy and Operations Jessica Silverman, Operations Assistant Jamie Song, Sound Designer Andrew Perella, and Senior Producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. Today's episode is part of a series on healthcare prices, supported in part by West Health. Special thanks to Karen Hoover, Don Smith, Joseph Pergine, Irene Hall, Carolina Uribe, and Jacqueline Petty at the CDC. Thanks also to Sean Dixon, Lisa Willette, Artie Ray, Stacey Ducetina, Gus Cairns, Rich McKinnon, Kay Marshall, Bradley Alpert, Jorge Roman, Dwayne Ford, Michael Carfin, David Holland, David Melbranch, David Paul Teal. Montika Levy, Kenyon Farrow, Matthew Rose, James Krellenstein, Peter Staley, Christopher Morton, Jose Bauermeister, Sean Bland, Patrick Sullivan, Fred Ledley, Michael Carrier, Mark Lemley, Matt Salo, Adrian Casalotti, and Lindsay Dawson. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Michael Richards, Deborah Lindis, and Lois and Fred Feldman. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, West Health, the California Healthcare Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoffs staff, advisors, or funders. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.